You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Dr. Christopher Hobbs has formulated exclusively with rainbow light since 1984. He holds a doctorate in integrative biology from the University of California, Berkeley. He's taught at universities and medical schools, including Stanford Medical School, Yale Medical School, Bastyr University, and the National School of Naturopathic Medicine. For six years, Hobbs taught in the Integrative Biology Department at the University of California, Berkeley, as a Ph.D. candidate. His research involved phylogenetics, evolutionary biology, phytochemistry, and ethnopharmacology. He's a fourth-generation herbalist, a licensed acupuncturist, a botanist, and the author of 25 books. In 2005, he was the recipient of the Natural Product Association's Clinician Award. His new book is Grow It, Heal It. Thank you for joining me, Chris. My pleasure. Good to be here. You're practically the Swiss Army knife of natural medicine. And what interested me about this was I was thinking about Walt Whitman and what he said was, do I contradict myself? Very well, then I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And what your approach of integrative health made me think about was that we are essentially ourselves, our bodies, our worlds. They are entire ecosystems. And within that ecosystem, we really need to be aware of that. So I'd like you to just tell me, what exactly is integrative health? Well, I first kind of in, I first encountered the term integrative at UC Berkeley in, in integrative biology. And that simply means that the biology looks at all different aspects of life. So you study when you study integrative biology, you study ecology, you study evolutionary biology, the chemistry of, of organisms, the cellular makeup and, and mechanisms of of living organisms and all other aspects. So, and it's all integrated as a whole because, as you mentioned, life is not cut up into fragments. It's all integrated into one. And in Native American Indian thinking and many traditional uh, societies, they think of le- life as being a web, and it certainly is. So, everything affects everything else. And so, I would say in integrative health, if you look at that, and I think it's certainly more prevalent today, the thinking that you can't just take a pill and adjust one parameter of the body and get rid of symptoms and cure your disease and be healthy. You have to integrate all different aspects of your life for health, and it it makes a big difference in whether you're healthy or you have a state of dis-ease, and that includes diet and moving our body, exercise, learning how to breathe properly, certainly mindful living in the sense that we're not just following our storyline all the time and, and generating all this anger and resentment and so forth, but no, we just see how it feels, how things feel in our body, and we release that, and we don't store those things. And so th- there is a, a psychological, a psychic portion of health, certainly, that, that most holistic practitioners would agree is maybe the fundamental foundation of health is just our emotional being and our and our and our psychology 
are how are we feeling? Are we feeling stressed? Are we feeling peaceful? Are we feeling happy? That's really a you know that's really important. If we're feeling happy, we're a lot more likely to be healthy. There's no doubt about that. But also exercise and diet. Sleep is a huge one. So sleep, our sleep hygiene, the amount of sleep we get, whether we disturb the different layers of our sleep, like delta sleep or um, REM sleep, the dreaming part of, of sleep. All of these are an integral part of sleep health, and we certainly need good sleep to have full amount of energy and vitality, immune functioning. There are many research studies on this. So any aspect that you can think of that might make an influence on our health or help create a state of disease, we have to look at that and integrate all of those things and not just focus on one. And I think that's what integrative, the new movement of integrative health is all about. There's a term that I'd like you to talk about. What is the microbiome? The microbiome is all of the microorganisms that live on and in our body, and it's amazingly complex. Uh, there are research um, consortia around the world now studying the human biome because we, we've been able to sequence the genomes of microorganisms, and therefore we've been able to identify a lot more species and different types of microorganisms than we've ever been able to before. Previously, they would take a fecal sample and they would try to, you know, microscopically look at these different types of microorganisms, bacteria and yeasts and so forth. And it was difficult because as soon as you took them out of the body, they started changing and they d would die off and so forth. So it was really hard to pin down how many species are actually living inside our body. Well, now we can actually sequence the genomes of these organisms, or at least some genes, and we can make trees, and we can see how many s distinct organisms are inside of our body. And it's over a 1,000 or maybe more inside of our gut. And they also, there are microorganisms in our eyelashes, in our hair, on top of our skin. In fact, interestingly, if you think of like acne, okay, acne, why does acne happen? It's bacteria feeding on sebum and other oils and proteins and so forth in our skin that create lesions and become and create inflammation and become maybe out of out of balance, out of control. And so it's just ironic that people think, well, bacteria is causing acne, so I want to wash my skin and get rid of the bacteria. But it turns out that the bacteria that could become out of balance is actually embedded inside the skin. So it's living in our dermis. It's living in our skin, not on top. You can wash your hands and get rid of what's ever on your hands, but that isn't going to fundamentally change the nature of all this complex microorganism, the, the microbiome inside your skin, which either can be healthy and reject pathogens and prevent infections, or it can be imbalanced and unhealthy and create lesions like acne or boils or cysts and so forth. So it's amazingly complex, and we're just finding out a lot more about it now. And recently, a lot of medical researchers are saying our microbiome is a major um, contributor to health and disease in our body. And it's like another organ system. It digests, helps digest our food. It, help, it produces B vitamins and other substances that we need. And it keeps pathogens out of our body. It helps balance those. So they're entirely beneficial for the most part. 
But I also think if we become really out of balance, they could, like the wolf and the caribou, they could actually destroy us if they become really out of balance in our body based on our diet and our overall health. Our bodies are like Horton Hears a Who. It's like Whoville down there. It really is. There are probably a lot of strange-looking organisms down there that we wouldn't want to really look at too closely. But they're all working together in our, for our benefit many times. Now, in integrative health, this is, brings together a lot of very different disciplines. And I'd like you to talk about getting just the different doctors and the different uh, types of science to talk to one another because you've got people who are looking through microscopes, people who are doing gene sequencing, people who are looking at the chemicals in and on and around our bodies. So talk about bringing all those scientists and all that science together in a manner that's manageable and comprehensible, not just to you as a scientist, but also to us as health product consumers. Well, certainly at UC Berkeley and, and other uh, universities around the country and around the world, people are integrating things more and more. And so scientists in different disciplines are talking to each other, ecologists, chemists, uh, botanists, uh, zoologists, entomologists. They're all talking to each other. And you're seeing international collaborations on many papers today, whereas you wouldn't before, of all different types of disciplines. And they're all putting their heads together. They're all emailing and talking to each other. And they're finding common ground. And they're producing work that is a much more complete picture and a, and a more accurate picture of life and health and disease. And so it's really great for the consumer uh, it's it is translating. It's like new battery technology, you know. And when's it going to get into my cell phone? But it's like all of this integration is going to eventually be something that we can that will really benefit us because um, health and disease, again, as we s spoke about, is not multifactorial. It's multifactorial, and there are so many different influences on our health and disease. And when we put all this together, and there's exciting research that's coming out showing that, wow, this, this supplement um, works on our digestion, it works uh, on our immune system, it, you know, or this food. There's so much, so much research on food today. Resveratrol, for instance. Resveratrol is found in grape skins, and if we take a resveratrol supplement, it might have an effect on our cellular on cellular mechanisms that can re reverse the aging process, resveratrol. And so there's a lot of research on that. How does it actually work? Well, it might protect the telomeres, which are on the ends of DNA, kind of protecting it and capping them. And as we age, the telomeres start degrading, and therefore we cannot reproduce our genes as well, and we start aging. And so supposedly resveratrol protects the telomeres on the ends of our genes. And that's pretty amazing. So, how, you know, how did they determine that? that? That was a lot of research, but it had to be cellular biologists, chemists, um, geneticists, and all those, all those types of researchers putting their heads together to, to find that out and, to, and, then, and then to apply that research to, to something that we can actually use. And one of the things, too, that I think is really interesting is that the more sophisticated our research becomes and the more integrated it becomes, the more we're discovering that ancient techniques, ancient healing, ancient herbs, the stuff that's been handed down to us 
through the centuries is not based on, you know, myths. It's based on what's proving to be some pretty hard science. Well, I'm a big believer in that. I, as a, you know, I'm an, I'm an herbalist first and foremost, and kind of a, I don't know if you'd want to say hippie herbalist, but I started out, you know, in the 60s, and, and I, I spent a lot of time in the woods, spent a lot of time growing herbs and using them and drinking them. And, of course, there were certain herbs that we used that, that got us into this in the first place, like one major herb that I'm thinking of that's finally becoming legal now. But uh, so a lot of us started out with that herb in the 60s, but then we started thinking, oh, well, you know, herbs are pretty amazing, and what else is there out there? And so we started studying milk thistle and echinacea and other, other herbs that we started using and growing and ancient herbs and, and so forth. So anyway, I'm a big believer in that in the sense that being a scientist, I, I've really looked at a lot of different scientific disciplines and, again, integrated them in my research. But on the other hand, especially with herbs, okay, there, we've proven all these really amazing new biological effects from herbs like medicinal mushrooms, reishi and shiitake, for instance, the way that it stimulates our immune response. That's pretty amazing. But when you look back on history, 2,000 years ago, cultures were using reishi and using shiitake as a food and a medicine. And that says so much, first of all, about the safety. Okay, it's been used for a 1,000 years or 2,000 years. But it also talks about um, the way to use, to use it. it. Do you make a water extract? Do you eat it? Do you use it fresh? Do you use it dry? Do you make an extract out of it and concentrate it? So there's a lot of that that people have worked out over centuries and centuries of trial and error. Empirical knowledge is amazing. It's like this massive library of, of human knowledge and experience that has been condensed and handed down from generation to generation. And it's so important not to abandon that or to lose that. So it has to be documented, it has to be passed on and written about, and that's a lot of what I've done. But now I'm you know, more in the scientific realm, but certainly I want to integrate both the traditional uses and the traditional wisdom and knowledge and experience with modern science. And I don't think one is good without the other. Both of them have to be there. Well, two, they're both aiming at the same target, which is that human beings are products of the natural world and they respond best to products from the natural world which we've grown up in a society so dominated by technology that that seems like an, uh, a new thought. Yes and I have a good example uh, of that idea and that is um, something like benzodiazepines or a drug any mono a drug that's a monosubstance where they purified the compound, they maybe tweaked it, and then they manufacture it in large amounts. They do clinical trials showing that, say, a benzodiazepine like Ativan can, in some people at least, relieve anxiety and reduce anxiety and help you sleep a little bit better. Okay, so they produce this drug, and the way that they do that is they tailor the drug to fit into our own natural binding sites like benzodiazepine receptors that we have in our body. They tailor it to perfectly fit into that binding site and stimulate that binding site. And by doing that, they get a really powerful effect and a very immediate effect of reducing anxiety. Now, 
the problem with that approach is that what you're doing is you're blocking your own receptor sites to your natural benzodiazepine-like chemicals. For instance, if we get a hug or if we go out on a walk in the forest, and now they're doing forest therapy, uh, you know, in Europe and Japan and Asia, there, there are a lot of talk about nature therapy. You go out in nature and you just bask in, under the trees and, and you feel good and you, you're healed and so forth. And people even pay for that, to be led out of the forest and, you know, so they, so um, the main thing is, is that there are all these things that we, we can do, feeling love and, you know, doing something that we find really exciting that produces our own natural benzodiazepines that calms us down, that makes us feel good. But when you tailor a drug to fit perfectly in these, these binding sites, you're blocking your own natural chemicals. And that's why it's so ironic that, that you know, the main side effect of benzodiazepines, which are supposed to relieve anxiety, is anxiety. So <laughs> I always found that so ironic that, you know, and it's true. Look at the labeling. And, and uh, it seems counterintuitive, but... But people, millions of people take them every day and, and they don't, they go, well, I, you know, I feel somewhat better or it got rid of the worst symptom, but now I've got all these other symptoms. Okay, now that's one side of the picture. Now nature, you can, if you do the research on, say, herbs like California poppy, valerian, and some other calming herbs that we use for calming and have been used like that for a long time, they contain compounds that are innate, and yeah, you probably didn't think I was going to come back to that point, but they contain natural compounds that weakly fit into these binding benzodiazepine sites. They give us a, a, a leg up, kind of, and they give us a mild activation. They modulate the functions, and they, they give us an antidepressive effect and a calming effect, but it's not displacing our own natural compounds. And so, therefore, the side effects are so much less than if you were to take a tailored monosubstance like Ativan and eat that that has so many side effects. You take California poppy or valerian extract, and you get this really nice, mild action that works best over time, that works best when you take it for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and then you can really reduce the symptoms of, of chronic anxiety or chronic insomnia and so forth, while at the same time you're allowing your natural processes to work properly. And so a lot less side effects. So that's, that's a general principle of herbal medicine and natural medicine is that you're not forcing the body. It's like aspirin forcing the, the fever down, forcing the fever down. Well, that makes no sense because the fever is our, one of our most important natural uh, immune mechanisms. We have to have fever. That protects us. That saves our life when we have a bacterial infection or something. But to take aspirin and to force the fever down or to, to get rid of it entirely, that is not healthy. And we found that, and I think that modern research is really pointing that out. Same with antibiotics. It's the same idea. So so I, I think you're right in, in what you're saying, and th those are kind of examples that I have. Well, you know, too, I think you said something that's really important, and I'd like you to expand on that, is this idea of time and using natural ingredients over a period of time. We live in an age where we expect and want instant answers, instant results, instant cures, but those aren't always the best, the most effective, or the, the longest lasting. 
Well, again, that's that's why they've tailored drugs to have an immediate effect, like aspirin gets rid of your headache, you know, right away. But it also is hepatotoxic, and it also erodes your gut membranes, and you know, it can lead to really severe side effects. On the other hand, willow bark extract, which is where they got the idea for aspirin in the first place contains natural salicylates in a glycoside form. In other words, the plant takes salicylic acid, which is the exact um, active ingredient as aspirin, and it attaches sugar molecules to it to move it around inside the plant because it's all water-based, so they make it more water-soluble. And if you take salicin uh, tablet, for instance, which is available in the natural foods uh, marketplace, it doesn't give doesn't get rid of a headache instantly. No, it it works more slowly. You can take it over a week or two period, and there are good research studies showing that it can ease lower back pain, like you it would aspirin. But it works more slowly. But it has no side effects. So salicin tablets or willow bark extract tablets, standardized to salicin, uh, is works really well. But it it just works slowly. You have to take it over time. But again, it doesn't interfere with the body's natural processes and I think that's one of the most important ideas of natural medicine, herbal medicine and food pharmacy, if you will, is that it doesn't force the body. It works with the body's natural mechanisms. Now, let's get back to integrative health because it, it, this is something that is a science that's coming together, and the products from that are forthcoming, and some there may be some out there on the market now. So I'd like you to tell, talk about what the next, what you think the next big big thing in integrative health uh, medicine is, and what how, what that will mean to consumers and be for consumers. Well, um, I'm you know I'm, I'm not necessarily favorable of what the next big, biggest thing is because. They're, you know, we're a fad-oriented society, and mm. people are always looking for, okay, what's the greatest herb coming on, uh, coming online? You know, they want to get excited about it. It can help relieve symptoms because it's something new. And fundamentally, oftentimes, this kind of thinking is we don't want to do the work of adjusting our diet to have a good diet and to to really meditate or to be in the present moment. That takes work and effort. And it takes time to work and really give us a, a feeling of really, really great health and really a lot of energy and vitality. So by really focusing on, okay, what's the next biggest thing coming along the line, we're really distracting ourselves from the process of health that we and educating ourselves and practicing health. Health is really about practice. That's another basic principle of natural health and healing and herbal medicine is health has to do with practice. So if, if we daily practice, if we do yoga every day, we do stretching, breathing, exercise, then eventually after a month or two, our symptoms are going to start to go away and we're going to feel great. We're going to feel wonderful. If we take the next pill that's coming along, we are going to get an effect, yes, because of the placebo effect. And maybe it has some effects. It's possible, yes. But but it isn't going to work the same as the pra- as just the daily practice. So I, I think, you know, integrative health, how can that benefit the consumer and improve our health? Again, we're bringing, we're, we're bringing in the idea that to be healthy, we don't just focus on one thing in our body. We have to focus on a total program for health. 
and that's what my my first teacher was Paul Bragg and um, he he always said you know people ask me well what can I take for arthritis and he says I have nothing for you specific for arthritis it's like it's a total program for health diet exercise thinking you know all of it drinking plenty of water sleeping well all of it so unfortunately I think in some ways we just you know there there are no magic bullets as far as magic as far as natural medicine and natural healing I don't really emphasize or focus on individual things though I will say dietary supplements herbs vitamins and minerals those can be fabulous those can be really supportive and really good for our health but again we have to take them regularly for a period of time and if we take them over months and years of time we will gain a significant benefit from them but if we just take them one day and then a week later we go oh yeah maybe I better you know you're feeling bad so maybe I better take my supplements today no that doesn't work as well so um, there there's a lot of benefit coming from integrative health and it has to be again a practice and we put these things together we learn we research we read books and try different things and then integrate what's working for us as a total program, I think, is, is the way to go. So the next big thing in integrative health is to step back and practice uh, a good life and a good health routine daily and keep it low-key and Definitely. something you can achieve. That's true. And start step-by-step. Step. Um, you know, if you, if you have trouble... Um, you, exercising, I, I think that, and and you just think, you know, research is telling me, run and do aerobic exercise for 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day, and so I'm going to get out there and I'm going to run for a half an hour a day. Well, how long is that going to last if we're not used to exercising? But just start with five minutes a day. Same with yoga. If you can just put your yoga mat down and stretch for five minutes, everybody can take five minutes. And set a timer in your kitchen or, or on your iPhone or whatever. Set a timer, s- stretch for five minutes on your, and just keep doing that. And eventually it's going to feel so good you're going to go, oh, oh, I just, I was stretching for 10 minutes. I was stretching for 15 minutes. So don't, yeah, it's always better to, to do it that way. Just start, and if it's like, I've got to get off sugar. I really want to get off sugar. This is har- harming me. Then what you do is you, you just eat your normal diet, but then you start substituting maybe dried raisins, which are amazing food. Raisins have so much iron and so many minerals, and they're sweet as heck. In fact, I get a, if you eat a handful of raisins, you get a sweet fl- a flush because it's so sweet. There's so much sugar in there, or even honey. So you just substitute one thing, and you just keep going like that, and you go, you know, I feel better. And then you just substitute something else, and pretty soon you're, all the added sugar is gone, and you're going, I don't want to add sugar in my diet. I just want dried fruit and fruit juice and whole fresh fruit. And that's what makes me feel better. But I'm still getting plenty of sweet things in my life. Eventually, you might say, this is too much sweet. And you might integrate to just fresh fruit in season. And so it's a step-by-step process. I think even people that say, well, I can all, I'm can, i all or none kind of person. I you know, either have to do it or not do it. But But I think it's always best to start with something manageable, short and just keep doing it until it's an established habit or routine. As Michael Pollan said when asked what to eat, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. 
Yeah, very <laughs> simple. I'm a big believer in keeping it really simple, really manageable, and you know, just keep our awareness on it and keep practicing it. And it's like water wearing away stone in a way. You know, one of the things that we have, we face uh, challenges we face in in our modern lives is that is the there are a few out there. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) one of the big ones is is eating and just finding the right or not eating. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's that's more of a challenge than eating. (laughs) Well, gosh, you know, I was at the grocery store the other day, and I'm just looking at it. I'm thinking everything in sight has loads of sugar, fat, and salt. And, and I just got to get out of here and go over and look at the kale and stuff. And That's exactly right. You know, and I, I've got so many stories about that. But but um, it's really true. I've been sugar-free for, you know, quite a while now. It's been maybe two years. And, and then during my graduate program, I kind of slipped back into having some natural treats and things. But, but uh, before that, I was five years without any foods with added sugar. And so it really makes a huge difference in my life if I just decide, okay, this is one time where it's just, I found it easier just to say, okay, no foods with added sugar. And I can have all the other sweet things I want, honey and, and, uh, and dried fruit and so forth. But on the other hand, I wasn't going to eat any foods that, that processed foods with added sugar to it. And, and even things like Odwalla now are just you know, juices are just too sweet for me, and I just prefer it all watered down and fresh juice, fresh fruit juice, and so forth. But yeah, you if you go into the store, and I've, I've got pictures of this. I went into this supermarket the other day, and there was literally a 50-foot aisle with sugary drinks on it. I mean, every 50-foot <laughs> aisle. I mean, you can look. I've got this picture down the line, and it's really just blows your mind. I mean, and it's not it's not anymore. It's not like um, just thinking about Coke and Pepsi. It's and soft drinks. It's all the fruit juice sweetened things and all the, you know, like juice squeezes and things like that. That's also very sweet. And, and even Odwalla is very sweet. So, I mean, you just you just see so many products that have added sugar and, and then you're, you're right, fat and, and salt as well. But I think that's all solved very easily with something that Michael Pollan would, Pollan would say and that is don't eat anything that isn't real food. And real food, if it's got a label on it, it's not real food. That's, a, that's great advice. Now, one of the things, uh, your book, um, Grow It, Heal It, I think is it's really fabulous. I, I love cookbooks, and I never even conceived of the idea that there could be a cookbook for natural medicine. But it makes, reading that book, that's exactly what that is. It's a perfect example of this. So I, I, I'd like you to, to just talk about um, this. I mean, herbal remedies, they have a deep history. This isn't, I mean, we were, I said 2,000 years before, but it really goes back 5,000 years. Well, probably 5,000 years to the Stone Age. They've, they've, un, they've done digs and of um, burial sites and fire pits and so forth, and they've actually come up with plant, quite a bit of plant debris that are from plants that are, they wouldn't be used for food. They're too bitter, and, you know, they just wouldn't be used for food. So there is, we don't know for sure, but we think that, yes, even back 5,000 years ago, people were using plants for medicine. And, and that was the way it was up through the Renaissance, the Egyptian times, Asian, Greek. Um, the natural remedies 
all the way through through the 19th century until the 1930s when there was this shift. And so I'd like you to talk about uh, the the national formulary. <laughs> the national formulary was a was a uh, an official compendium of herb formulas mainly. And if you looked at the and it's published every year in the United States, and a lot of other countries have similar works. So in the United States, there was the U.S. Pharmacopeia that told how to make the medicines, and then there was the National Formulary, which told how to make how to make um, you know compounds. In other words, how to blend herbs together, how to use them, the doses, and so forth. So those two to get kind of went together, and so the National Formulary up until about 1916, 1920, was basically 90% herbal products. It had didn't have drugs at that point. And then with the 30s and 40s, then drugs started slowly coming in, especially with the, with the discovery of aspirin and antibiotics like penicillin. Then, then they really started coming in and supplanting herbs uh, because, again, they have that dramatic effect, but then we find out later that, oh, antibiotic use leads to a lot of problems in our environment, and it can long-term um, deleteriously affect our health. But we had to learn that over a period of time. But herbs, before 1920, yeah, it was mainly herbs. And um, it in the first official pharmacopoeia in the English-speaking world was around 1680. So that was the first British compendium of, of medicinal plants, and that was that was the first kind of official book in English. And it had herbs. It was a you know mostly herbs, almost all herbs, but herbs also included things like animal parts, minerals, and the like. So all of those were all blended. Mushrooms. Those were all blended together under the rubric of herbs, but those were all considered natural medicines in those days. And were widely prescribed by physicians and found in the pharmacy shops. Now, your book, I really like the way, just the way it's set up. You, you give us a, a really nice introduction that kind of covers what the book's about. And the thing about these herbal remedies is they're really safe. You have some proscriptions in each entry, but this is a, a way of treating your health that I think in many ways seems a lot safer than anything you could buy in the pharmacy. Well, that's one of the big advantages of herbal medicine is, again, it doesn't, it isn't, I, I say over and over again, herbs are not drugs. And we often think, well, ginkgo has had these side effects and, you know, don't use it with blood dinners or whatever. But herbs are not drugs. They don't work in this, fundamentally, they work in a different way. Again, weakly binding into our bodies, binding active sites rather than so so um, strongly. Um, but herbs have a long history of safety. People have been using many of these herbs like ginger, garlic, um, turmeric, so, valerian. So many herbs that we use today were written about around 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago by the Egyptians and by the Greeks and Romans. They use them every day in their, in their medicine. And this is 2,000 years later, people are still using them. So you have to assume that, okay, it's not killing off too many people. <laughs> They're enjoying it. They're getting record. benefit <laughs> from it. I mean, you, you have to assume that. People are, people, you can't, well, who was it, uh, P.T. Barnum that said you can fool some of the people some of the time and all of the people some of the time, but you can't feel, fool all the people all of the time. <laughs> 
Now, uh, one of the things, too, that when we start exploring these herbal remedies, especially the ones that you have in this book that you can grow yourself, is uh, this is inexpensive. I mean, this— Yeah, it, that's another big advantage. It, so talk a little bit about that. Well, of course, the most inexpensive way to use herbs is to grow your own, and and that's what my book is about, Grow It and Heal It. We have a lot of directions in there and our, our long, long experience about herbal gardening and growing thyme and oregano and calendula and rosemary and lavender. There are so many herbs that you can grow right in a window box. You can grow in your backyard. Uh, you don't need much space, really. And... You know, you can go out and eat them. That's one way to use herbs. You can just nibble on them or munch them. You can chop up a little rosemary or some lemon balm and put it into your salad. You can you can use calendula petals in your salad or <coughs> borage flowers in your salad. Uh, I nibble on them all the time for health benefits. Uh, you can make teas. That's the most time-honored way of using herbs, really, are teas. And that's so simple. You just use the fresh herb or the dried herb, and you put it in boiling or boiled water and cover it and let it steep for 15 minutes and and just drink the tea two or three times a day or after a meal to help settle your digestion. Like peppermint tea is almost one of the most wonderful teas that is still the only tea, herbal tea, non-caffeinated tea that you might find in almost every restaurant is still peppermint tea because it, it helps relax the digestive tract, it helps get rid of gas, and it helps relieve um, the discomfort of indigestion after eating a meal. So you still find that in restaurants, but you can so easily grow peppermint in your backyard or in a pot or in a planter box, and just go out and harvest a little peppermint, put it in some water, uh, and just let it steep and drink it. So it's, it's so fun and so refreshing, and herbalists always say, get to know the plant, the medicine, get to know the plants that you're you're using by growing them, by making a personal relationship with them, by rubbing them and smelling the peppermint, and oh man, it smells so great. And then you brew it, a fresh cup of tea, and the vapor's coming off, and it's filling your whole kitchen with this wonderful scent. And then you drink your cup of warm peppermint tea, and you feel great. One of the things, too, you suggest is that when you're planting your garden, look in your medicine chest. By looking in your medicine chest, the medicines you're using, you can say, oh, I have a lot of cough medicines. I have a lot of these anti-anxiety things. And in a sense, replacing the store-bought with something you can grow in your garden. Uh, that's a really great idea. I mean, if you're looking in your cabinet and seeing a lot of aspirin and painkillers, well, what can I do to replace those? On one hand, we aren't necessarily always thinking about where do those where does the aspirin come from? Where does the, uh, you know, Excedrin and Advil come from? Those are manufactured in a chemical plant where they have to release a lot of toxic chemicals into the environment to produce them. So when you think back, by, you, by selecting herbs, you're not only improving the health and reducing side effects in your own ecosystem, you're also benefiting the bit larger ecosystem of our world by choosing natural medicines that are completely sustainable, that you can grow yourself, that reduce that or can be found locally, that reduce energy costs, reduce um, pollution, and also inside inside the body as well. So you're right. With aspirin, you could choose ginger. You could drink ginger tea that has a really wonderful pain relieving property. You can bathe in ginger. You can bathe in, in rosemary tea. Just pour that into your bath and get in. And I talk about this in my in, in our book. 
get into a rosemary bath or a ginger bath, just pouring the tea in there, and that actually penetrates your skin and relieves achy muscles. And and when you're say when you exercised or you have an injury or a strain, that will relieve that pain pretty rapidly just by taking a bath in ginger or rosemary. Uh, and also internally, again, the willow bark tablets, those may be produced locally, or at least it's not going to pollute the environment to produce them. And then you can actually even grow meadowsweet, which has natural aspirin-like compounds in it. It's a beautiful garden flower, meadowsweet, philopendula, almeria, and then you can make a meadowsweet tea and drink that, and it's going to have a pain-relieving effect inside your body as well. So, yeah, that's a great idea. Look in your medicine chest and see, well, you've got a lot of pain meds in there or, or sleeping uh, you know, aids, and then just go and see what, what herbs can be substituted and other natural me- medicines. You know, one thing I think that's uh, easy to forget in our world is we have this idea of the prescription that this one thing will cure this one symptom in everybody who has that one symptom. But I think that's a real fallacy that everybody has symptoms are slightly different. Um, people are, sl- are all very different. Each of us has our own particular biome, you know, microbiome going. I mean, some of us may be, you know, desert planets. Some of us may be forest planets. Some of us may be glacier planets. So yeah. it's important to keep in mind your own intuition and of, as to what works for you and your own individuality as you're choosing these medicines. And that takes experimentation and trying different things and try many different things. And, and if it doesn't work, then that's all the good too because you, you just it's a kind of a process. You find things that do work really well for you. But I agree as far as prescriptions go and you know people by the time they're my age are typically taking you know 10 or 12 medications, pharma- pharmaceuticals, I take zero. And I use herbs and natural medicine, and I'm, I feel totally healthy and great, and I don't have those side effects. And, and that's something that I've practiced you know, all my adult life, but I think we can start at any age is realize that prescriptions are only approximation of what a doctor might think that we need. But the doctor doesn't know us. They don't know what's going on inside of our body. They don't know our daily habits. They don't know our genetics. They're just guessing, and, the, and typically a prescription is one size fits all. It's like, okay, you have arthritis, then these are the drugs that we use. They don't look at the individual, per se. They might have a little look, look in based on our, our you know, blood pressure and things like that, but, and our lab tests, but they don't really know who we are. And so we, we have to be our own doctor in the sense of trying different things and rejecting what doesn't work and and really embracing what gives us greater health and and less less symptoms and makes us feel better and more more energy and happier so th- that's a process that we have to to do ourselves and i think there's a really important word a process it's not a solution we're looking for we all think we want a solution to the problem we don't want a solution to the problem i think what we really are searching for though we don't know it is a process by which uh, we can integrate, using integrative health into our lives, uh, a routine that's easy for us to handle, but that changes us gradually and keeps us, maintains us in good health, as opposed to like shooting arrows at the bad things. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good image. 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about that several times during our conversation, but but I, I'm on board 100% with that. It's a process. It really is. Health is a process. Disease is a process. When you think about cancer and heart disease, how many years have the, has this process been going on? They, they think that by the time we really feel a tumor and by, by the time we're diagnosed with a cancer or heart disease, this process that they could, you could really identify has been going on for at least seven or eight years and possibly decades. So you're right. Disease is a process and health is a process. And if we can only identify what will bring our, our own individual at, in, our all, uh, in our uniqueness into greater health, then we've really done an amazing job in our life. And that means we're going to live longer and a happier life. And we're going to be good examples for everybody around us. You know, in your book, you give us a whole, you, you take a look at a whole bunch of different herbs. You, you go through 50 herbs alphabetically. Talk about just creating the format for each presentation, which is the description, the preparations, the dosage. You have a little feature, kind of a balloon that tells us, you know, something we need to know, healing properties, safety, how it works in the garden, and how you are harvested. Yeah, again, it's all integrated every step of the way. You you think about what do I need or even just what's beautiful and I want to plant out there. And you start <laughs> planting your garden and lavender is beautiful, but then you might discover how to use lavender. It's a great bath for relaxing, for instance, or even a tea for relaxing. So, yeah, the, I think the way that we set up the book, the way Rodale set it up and added graphics and color and everything helps helps a person invites a person into the information um, rather than having just blank text and trying to dig it out of the book. It's all set up so that you can, you know, easily get information out. And and again, every step of the way, as you mentioned, growing the herbs, harvesting them, how to harvest them, how to dry them, um, how to make preparations, salves, creams, ointments, fomentations, compresses, teas, tinctures, and or just start with something easy like teas. And so you're right, every step of the way is there. And then side effects and the main uses based on science and based on tradition both. So we, we have all of this integrated into, into all of these 50 herbs um, that, we ha- that we mentioned in the book, where, which are really, according to our long experience, years and years of experience, these are the 50 herbs that we consider the most useful for most people. Well, and this kind of takes us back to, you use the word integrated, this takes us back to integrated health where you're combining a a variety of disciplines, both the, you know, medicinal and the herbal treatments, but also just, you know, agricultural, growing it. And then there's almost a kitchen part. I I love the recipes here for making things. And and tea, 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 that's what came out at me. Boy, you can make, use just about anything with a tea. You can. Any herb can be made into a tea, and you can get almost, you know, everything out of that herb, all the actives. And also, teas are great because they've been used so long. They require no solvents, for instance. You know, many herb products out there, or some herb products out there, are more solvents are used, like methanols. But teas, pure water, and that's all you need to make, to make your medicine. And it's completely sustainable, recyclable, um, easy on the environment, readily available. And so that's one reason why I'm so keen on teas because that was how most medicines were made in almost all traditions of the world are teas. Then you can actually make a dried tea 
that's a really exciting way to concentrate the active ingredients of plants. You first make a tea, you simmer it down with any herb that you want, say peppermint or whatever, and you simmer it down and make a tea concentrate so it gets pretty thick. And then you pour that into your food dehydrator after adding a carrier like maltodextrin that absorbs the liquid. You get kind of a smoothie consistency and you pour that into the fruit leather trays of your dehydrator and dehydrate it and you get this dry, you might say herb wafer and you can just take pieces of that off and eat it and munch on it like for medicine or you can powder it in your blender and put it into a, a jar and you can just take a half teaspoon of that and mix it or a teaspoon and mix it into warm water and just drink it. So you have, you've made an instant herb tea, basically. And that preserves it for a long period of time. You could preserve it for up to a year or two or more. And it's so convenient because you can make a big pot of, say, ginger tea. Say your digestion is off and you, ginger has natural proteolytic enzymes in it. It has natural um, pain-relieving compounds in it. Uh, healing compounds, and so ginger has been is time honored. But you could boil down some ginger, make a dry ginger tea, make a an instant tea, and you can make a big pot, and then just make your instant tea of ginger every day. And you don't have to even make the tea day after day. You've made your own instant tea at, right in your kitchen. And this you can have this with your healthy meal, followed up with a, a natural supplement. You want to supplement that. The idea for me, one of the things that interests me is that um, when you're taking vitamins, it, it's probably a good idea to take a vitamin that comes from a natural source as opposed to another chemical factor. <laughs> it seems kind of yeah. counterintuitive there. Yeah, and also if you have a vitamin or mineral supplement, if you add food, you know, concentrated foods in there, then that's going to, you know, kind of fill in the spaces. If you have B vitamins or minerals or whatever, you put food concentrates in there, like vegetable juices or food, you know, concentrates, then it's going to be a lot better utilized by the body. And I think there is research on that that, that points that out. So that's one way to make, I think, a holistic supplement that is a lot better utilized by the body. It's safer. It's just to put lower doses of vitamins and minerals in their, in their purified form in the context of a lot of dried fruits and vegetables and, and other natural food substances. And so th those are the type of supplements that I enjoy taking and that feel the best in my body. Thank you for joining me, Chris. Thanks so much. That was really a lot of fun. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.